0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Uh, this is a first. This is a new new beginning for Cooper Talk because I found out last week on Facebook that the studios were closing. I don't know what happened. It's not my thing, so I started scrambling, running around. I said, what am I going to do? I don't want to go to another studio. I had such a, you know, I love the Indy 100 Studios, so I thought, I started talking to people, and they said, get this Zoom mic, this Zoom H4 and whatever. And I'm, I'm a moron, so I got it. I didn't know what to do. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to connect it to my computer. And I figured out I can just sort of just set it up in front of my computer and do Skype. So so what looked like it was going to be a bad thing turned out to be an actually a very good experience for the fact that now I can get guests from anywhere, anywhere on my show. In fact, my guest today, I was looking through my records. Cooper Talk's been going for like uh, around five years. My guest was on a little under five years ago on my website. He's episode number 10. And then he was on about four years ago. My guest is Phil Veron. How you doing, Phil?
1: Hey, great to be back. Dude, it's been, it's been... four years.
0: Yeah, Dude, you know, it's, like... it's funny. I was checking it. It was like Mar- last time you were on was like March 9th, 2012. Wow. And it's just crazy. I mean, and, and, and I know it's funny. is because so much has changed in both of our lives. I mean, you, when you were on last time, you were promoting the... Uh, the Phil, the Phil Verone dildo.
1: Oh yeah! Wow, that, yeah, that's going back. I get, you know, time flies. I, I didn't realize. It seems like uh, you know, you blink your eyes and then you know, it's five years later, four years later. It's crazy.
0: So I want to get my guests associated with with your career because you know you're you're a, you're a rock and roller. And now, now, when did you start playing drums? Because these guests, a lot of my guests have, don't know the Phil Verone story. How did you get into the music world and how have you gotten to the path where you ended up back in Florida? Well,
1: we, um, I guess I started like any other kid would. We um, were offered the uh, an instrument to play in grade school. So naturally, my first, um, <clears throat> my first choice was trumpet because I thought the trumpet players were the coolest. So, but um, because I had an issue with my ears, I had to go to drums, and I was able to uh, play drums with earplugs. And that's really what started it. I played in high school, uh, played in the orchestra. I didn't do the marching band. I just did orchestra stuff. And then uh, when I graduated high school, I was in local bands and just kind of you know, chopping wood and, and, and trying to get good. And then we formed Saigon Kick in 1988, and then we had a record deal uh, two years later. So it was pretty quick, in all honesty. I mean, when I think about it now, and, and I've talked to Saigon Kick about this, we're like, do you realize how quick we got a record deal? You know, it was like lightning struck, and um, we were pretty grateful. But that's that was the start of it, so, um, and, and uh, you know, went from there.
0: So, yeah, because I guess also back then, you said 88. I mean, that, that was, a lot of bands were getting on, because you guys were a, sort of a glam metal band, or were you a hard metal band? or What, what would you categorize uh, Saigon Kick as?
1: well we were kind of um i mean we were jane's addiction type like more of an alternative type band although we had long hair um it's funny when we signed uh, with atlantic we were with atlantic third stone third stone was owned by michael douglas uh the actor and um when they signed us they really had no idea what to do with us because our records were very eclectic and you know you got 15 different songs all had um you know like remnants of each song. In other words, you know, it was the heavier stuff, but there was lighter stuff. We, were, we loved the Beatles. We loved um, Jane's Addiction. So they really didn't know what to do with us. So we were we, we used to go into record stores and laugh at, at the, the bins that we were in. We were in adult contemporary. We were in metal. We were in hard rock, uh, uh, you know, pop, especially when we had the hit Love Is On The Way uh, because it was a, a ballad. And then um, they really had no idea what to do with us. So it was kind of like a, across the board, different genres. But we were influenced by so many bands, it's really hard to say, you know, what what we would – any particular type we would be.
0: What was it like? I mean, you think about it. You know, you're in Florida. You guys have a you have a deal. You know, you're, you're starting to break it. And you're in Florida. And Florida's party city. I mean, those early days, you know, must have just been just insane. I mean, you know, playing in – I mean, I'm sure you played in Fort Lauderdale and all the surrounding areas were just – Party City, what was that life like?
1: Well, believe it or not, when we started, we were from Fort Lauderdale, Saigon Kick was, um, when we started, there was really no scene. The scene was uh, really driven by uh, Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine. That was really the big music back then. Uh, there was a couple of rock bands that got signed. One of them was called Nuclea Valdez, who was just a brilliant rock band, uh, and they were signed with CBS Records. But Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine, the Latin. Uh, music was was more of the big draw back then. Uh, the music, the rock scene was wide open, and I think that's why we were able to do so well because we had the opportunity, and literally no other bands to kind of be in competition with. So when Saigon Kick came out, I think the the area was starving for music, and uh, you know they say it's all about timing, and I think we, it was just the right time for us. So once we came out. We just tore up the place. And in a matter of, like I said, two years, we had a record deal.
0: See, that's crazy. Now, Now, how did you find the guys for your band? Because I know it must always be, especially back then. I always tell people, you know, now you can go into Craigslist. You can go into, you know, you can put on Facebook, hey, man, I need a a drummer, and you'll get 87 drummers. How did you guys back then formulate a band? Was it guys you knew, or was it just something that you, you met these guys in high school? Or how did you form a group that... Was, worked well together. Yeah, well,
1: they were all our, our friends. I mean, we, you know, back when we all started playing and we all were terrible, uh, you know, you start in bands. So, you know, you're 15, 16 years old and we're in high school, you kind of have your high school bands. And, um, you know, when you start playing with everybody in the area, you start weeding through the good players, the players that you like. You know, you, you start forming friendships and relationships. Um, but Jason Beeler, the guitar player, from Saigon Kick, we went to high school together. Um, I've known him for almost thirty something years. Um, as far as Matt and Tom, the other two players in Saigon Kick, uh, they, you know, I just knew them through the music scene, and it was kind of like that. So there was never any ads. There was never anything like that. And they won't, they won't, they won't uh, confirm this. But I heard later on that the only reason why they really wanted me is because my drums were really nice and I had my own road cases. (laughs) So like, you know, we laugh about it now, but we all sucked. I mean, let's face it, you know, and we think about like the old demos and stuff, but what was great about that was that we all sucked together and we all got good together. And that's what, you know, that's like that brotherhood and that camaraderie. So that's what made it even more special to get a record deal.
0: Now, 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 you know, from my past talks with you, the one thing I always love is just your, uh, your stories of debauchery. And what's yeah. amazing is, you know, when when you're sitting there in marching band, you never think you're going to be a guy. I'm sure most people don't, you know, because I'm sure a lot of guys don't think one day they're going to have groupies running after them. Yeah. I mean, when did you really start finding out that women, and women love drummers. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone says, you know, I've learned this. I've had a lot of drummers on my show. And a lot of people sit there and they always say drummers are the craziest. But what I've come into a lot of times is Drummers are sometimes the most intellectual cuz I think you get it, both both sides of your brain has to work cuz you're functioning, you know, your arms and your legs and it's just insane. Yeah, well, you
1: know, you know the the old joke, you know, who's the guy standing with the musician? Right. The drummer. So like um, but I always said I, I knew from and and again, you know, guitar players, you know, if they'd never played again, we'd never missed them. Let's face it, right? right. I mean, uh, the <laughs> singer is is the star. First and foremost I would think but um but you know let's face it if if you went to a a concert okay and the drum and you're listening let's say Motley Crue you're watching Motley Crue and then all of a sudden his drums go out that is gonna change everything I knew way in the beginning that the drums are everything in the band that's why the band continues to diss the drummer you know because they know that we we are the band no matter how you slice it because without the drums you got nothing you got, you know, you got unplugged and you got boredom. So there was always that running joke like that. And uh, and, and I agree with you. I know a lot of drummers that are insanely intelligent. And, and, you know, we have to go the extra mile to get recognized on stage. And that's why I think like someone like Tommy Lee was so uh, detrimental to drumming because he was able to take drummers to the forefront which really hadn't been done, I mean, yes, we had John Bonham, we had Keith Moon, but, but Tommy Lee took it to a whole another level, flipping his drums over, you know, the roller coaster, like all these great things that made the drumming a show. Uh, he did a great part within his music, but then he had his time to put on a show, and uh, and for that, you know, he, he pretty much changed to face of drumming. So, um, but yeah, I think drummers, you know, always get the, the raw end of the stick, but, but also get all
0: the women well, without yeah.
1: a doubt
0: all okay. the women and i i got a question for you about about drummers and i'm not going to say rank drummers because i don't think that but not including yourself Because you're very fond of your hair, which you have very nice hair. And and my friend Rich Redmond, I became good friends. and plays with Jason Aldean? He has very nice hair. In fact, he he's probably a guy like you. Like he crashed here a few weeks ago. We went to a dinner party. The guy woke up and his his hair looked magnificent. I'm like, dude. I mean, who who is your top three besides you? Your top three drummers. Drummer hair. Who's got the top three? I mean, like if you if you are singing the lead singers, Kip Winger, he's got some damn good hair. He's but, got good hair. But now for you, yeah. who who are your three top drummer hairs?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, Tommy's always had great hair. Yeah. That's I true. mean, Tom, when, you, when you again, let's let's go through um, uh, music, like the history of music, and you think about how the hairstyles changed. Tommy's always had great hair. Um, uh, John Bonham had hair, great hair. You know, he went for the bandana and the and the beard. Um, but um, I don't know who else. I mean, it's it's so funny to think about hair because really back then I had you know the crazy long hair or I was putting you know fifteen cans of Aquanet and killing right. ozone, you know whatever the case was. But now I make fun of my hair because that's all I have. Like I say that I'm like my hair's a star. I'm just along for the ride, and it's become such a joke now that even if I put a Facebook post on, the first thing that people will say is great hair. Right. So it actually turned into that And fans have asked me to open up A Facebook page just for my hair Dude, Which you, is hysterical
0: You should do a so. hair product line You already have dildos Do a freaking hair <laughs> product line I mean it's like you're sitting there It's like could you imagine it? It's one stop shopping You go get your hair good And you get your girlfriend a sex toy And then you know what You're looking good And she's being happy
1: yeah, I, I tell you, I would love a bedhead manipulator uh, endorsement all day long because I spend a lot of money on hair products. But um, And, you know, what's funny about it is, like you just said about your friend who wakes up with great hair, that happens. Like, that, like I look like a wreck in the morning, but my hair is, like, on point. It's the oddest thing I've ever seen, you know? But, hey, what are you going to do?
0: So, uh, so Saigon get, kick is starting to get big. Now, when do you guys decide... You, you go on the road, so you start touring. What's that like for some kids from Florida to be going on the road? Because I'm sure you went on pretty big tours and you were opening for bigger acts.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, the the dream of uh, any kid is to get a record deal <clears throat> and then get on that tour bus. You know, and, and uh, I remember when the first tour bus rolled up, I was like, wow, this is real. You know, I remember waiting backstage at concerts and seeing the tour buses and dreaming as a kid like i just want to be on this bus and then all of a sudden we're on the bus and um it was amazing i mean uh, on tour with some of our, our idols i mean one of my favorite bands of all time just got inducted into the hall of fame a cheap trick and um that was one of our first tours you know and and it's funny when you think back of like how how much you learned from those bands and how cool they were. Because, you know, if you got on the road with a crappy band, that can affect you later on. You know, I mean, we toured with the Ramones. <clears throat> Excuse me. We we toured with the Ramones, and my conversation with Joey Ramone went like this. This was two weeks on the road with them. Here's my, here, this is all I got out of Joe. Hey, Joey. Mm. That was it. That was my conversation. So, you know, not that it was still amazing to tour with the Ramones. But my point is, is that, you know, as a kid, and we were kids, we were 24, I think, when we started touring. It was just unbelievable and like, you know, almost made your head explode that all of a sudden you were part of this club. And uh, it's pretty pretty grateful uh, that, that I was able to experience that stuff and still do.
0: Well, so now you're touring. Now, when do you guys decide you got to move to L.A.? I mean, was that was that was that a move that you, was very?
1: No, the, well, the band never moved to LA. I did.
0: Okay, so you know, they, so uh, what yeah. happened there? Well,
1: I, I moved to LA in two thousand and five, I think it was two thousand six, right after I left Skid Row. Um, I wanted to kind of um, you know explore some other genres of entertainment, and that's when I started stand up comedy, uh, acting. You know, I went out. Uh, I, went, I went to acting school. Uh, Of course, you know, I I started a show at the Improv in Hollywood called the Sex, Stand-Up, and Rock and Roll show that was, you know, widely successful. Um, I was... um, I I, I tell my friends today, like, what our graduating class was for comics. It was Chris D'Elia, who's, like, insane. Uh, It was Whitney Cummings. It was Natasha Legero, Like, all these great comics. Uh, Elijah Schlesinger. We all started together. So it was like... um, In fact, Chris D'Elia and I i think he had a show at the haha and then the next day i i did my first show at haha and we just became friends and um i missed those days because we all kind of jumped in cars and ran around and you know you do the rooms and you try to get like you know it was so much fun and um i really you know cherished those days but that's why i went to la just to kind of explore something else other than drumming and uh i did
0: So okay, so so when you after what why did after before you moved to LA Saigon Kick you guys broke up or did what what happened there?
1: Well, yeah, we kind of um, well uh, Saigon Kick officially broke up in around ninety six area. At that point, I ended up uh, starting a band with Rachel Boland from Skid Row. We had a band called Prunella Scales, which was like a punk. Pop-punk band we did a record in uh, in Japan and toured Japan and stuff and then around the year 2000 I joined skid row so I was in skid row till 2005 and then after I left skid row I kind of left a music business. I was burnt Um, You know, I did my rehab and I did all those things and then I moved to LA so I just needed a break from music I mean, it's just like anything else. Uh, I was you know, I was going hard for probably almost 15 years and it was wearing me out. It was physically, mentally, um, you know, my health was suffering and it just, you know, I just needed to take a break. Um, I, I, I missed playing with those guys. I had a great time with Skid Row, you know, like it was, it was my dream come true. We toured with Kiss and, you know, Def Leppard and Poison and, and Tesla and you name it, we played with them. So it was really, um, my childhood dream come true in regards to touring, but physically and mentally I just needed a break and that's what I did. And, uh, that's what brought me
0: to L.A. It must be this this crazy, though, from because you're so – I mean, I know comedy is a great high because I did it. And I was on the road for many years. But, you know, the comedy high, you know, getting the laugh is great. But you're playing in front of smaller crowds. It must have just been something different going from such – you know, you guys are playing in big venues, opening for big bands. You, were, you had the adoration of thousands when you hit stage. It must have been a big – Transformation going to comedy because even though you were burnt from the music business and you know it must just it must have been weird acclimating to a whole new kind of stage. Yeah, it
1: was. You know, I have to say this. You know, uh, everybody we talk about stand up comedy. I only did it for three years, so in no way do I even consider myself a comedian or anything like that. I just you know I did stand up for three years. I hosted my show at the Improv for you know three years as well. I, I find myself more comfortable as a host than an actual stand-up. But I needed to do that, and I recommend it to anybody out there. You should go on stage and try to do five minutes, because it changes your life. You also get over fears, which is, if you bomb, you just, you're just you fine. You're still walking, you still go up the next night. Um, so I actually enjoyed it, because it was just me versus the microphone. Where in a band, I had four other guys, or I had three other guys. And I was in my office, and I can play drums. Like, you know, I never questioned my drumming ability. I can get on stage and shred, but I'm not that funny. You know, so when you, so it really pushed me individually to try to be funny. Um, And um, it was, it was frightening, but welcomed. And I'll, you know, I enjoy that. In fact, to this day, I'm thinking about possibly doing a sex stand-up and rock and roll show again and putting it on the road, though, like, you know, with, with an actual rock band and like making it a big deal, Uh, because I think it would be a fun show to do. And it would also give me the ability to get out there and host and do some more stand-up.
0: Now, with the stand-up, did people – because you know how comics are. Comics yeah. – there, there's a lot of great – I mean I did I, – I have some great friends who are comics, some, you know, just the nicest people. But a lot of times when you're someone new, when you're showing up, comics can be bitches. I mean it, it, it's Skid Row. Right. Now did, did – did, how did comics – what was their take on you? Because did they, did they know you were in a band? Because everyone knows Skid Row. Everybody, a lot of yeah. people know Psycho. Did they know that? And Did they sit there and – because we it used to be like when I did stand-up in Philly. If someone came in and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing comedy to be an actor – I want a sitcom we'd be like get out you know because you know yeah. it was it was that was our turf I mean we were like you actors don't come here how did people uh, react to you and if and if they loved your music they probably thought wow this is really cool well yeah, yes and no
1: um, they, they did exactly what you just said there was uh, fans of the bands that gave me uh, help and then there was like the bitter comics that were like why are you in our business you're already you're famous and you're a rock star why do you want to come to our business now? We have enough comics. And um uh the reason why I got into stand up comedy is is because of my friend Craig Gas. And Craig is a brilliant comic, and uh, you know, he told me if you ever go over to LA, um, you need to do stand-up. You're a funny guy, you're you know, you should try it. And what I found was is that the successful comics that were doing well always gave me tips. Crystalia gave me tips, uh you know, uh, Brent Ernst. Uh, even when I talked to Dane Cook, he was nothing but gracious, you know. But then when you uh, do comedy at the Stovepiper and you're with a bunch of guys just working <laughs> out stuff, they get all pissed off at me. One guy actually told me, like, hey, dude, why don't you just go back to music and stop? You're, like, not even good. You know, like, I actually had a comic say that to me.
0: See, that's I, funny. You know,
1: yeah, and I was like, well, why would I do that when I'm just exploring? I'm, I'm only making myself um uh more like as far as i'm broad in my horizons let's say because i was acting at the time what if i needed to do a part as a stand-up like why wouldn't i explore that area you know i never wanted to be a full stand-up comic i never wanted to be a comedian and plant my feet and have an hour of material i knew i wasn't going to do that but i wanted to explore and experience that because i love comedy and uh, so I always found it both sides. And, but you know what? That's like in any any business. The successful musicians always will help people. It's the struggling people that are jealous and pissed off that will always diss you and tell you you know, to get out of their business or whatever the case is.
0: Yeah, that was my when I did comedy. I always would help young comics out. And then I figured, you know what? If, if I got them as an opener and I was the feature, and if they blew me off the stage, then I was doing something wrong. So I always did it because, you, you, you know, to keep up – a step ahead of them, you gotta keep up your game and when you find someone who has some talent or you sit there and respect them somewhat you sit there and you're nice to them because they'll keep you honest, that's what a lot of people don't get, the bitter guys, I and mean, I see it on Facebook, you see it on Facebook too, people yeah. sitting there, they're just bitching about other comics, I'm like, you know what the bottom line is, it's not the other comics that are affecting your act if your act sucks, your act sucks
1: well yeah, and that's the, that's the funny part about it, like you know it, you, uh, I saw I saw a an interview with Zach Galifianakis with David Steinberg, and they were talking about. He was talking about playing big rooms and how sometimes, you know, his his comedy is lost in translation. Then he fun, you know, he he makes fun of himself and goes, "Or I could just become a better writer." Right? You know, maybe that's what it is. You know, and that's what it's about. You know, you what, what I've learned from comedy and from people is that you can point at everybody in the place and you can figure out why you sucked. But when it's all said and done put the finger back at you because i have seen comics go on stage and just crush rooms to the like i can't even believe like when david tell would go on and and D'Elia or even seinfeld for that matter just crush rooms do you actually he's going to blame who right you know if he has come on give me a break um you know but we all do that i mean we don't want to uh, you know, think that we suck, but when it came to comedy, I sucked. I watched the pros, and I learned unbelievable amounts of stuff from them that I've used in other ways, like public speaking, like even writing. You know, because I, I write books, and, and like you know, when you writing material, I write scripts, I write. I, you know, it, it, it was so relevant across the board. It helped me out tremendously in all aspects. So for that, I'm very grateful. And you know what? There's always going to be bitter people. Who gives a shit? You I know. know, I mean, let him be bitter on Facebook.
0: I know Who it's so. It, it's so funny. I sit there, I go, man. It's like if you only. I always laugh at this. I always see like. People will put like I'll be honest. And I, you, well, you brag about your hair, and that's good. And you know, yeah. and, but and you're yourself effacing. Like when you played your gig the other night, you know, you said how if you you hope there's a lot of icy hot or whatever for your body, but your hair will look exactly. Good. And for me, I'm the same way. But if, if someone sits there and goes, if I get a good guest, I'm gonna post it. If someone, if I get someone who goes, hey man, we really like your show, I'm gonna post it because you know what? Hey, okay, am I bragging? Hell yeah. But I'm, I'm proud. But I always crack up when people sit there and they'll put like a negative thing someone said about their show, like, hey, man, I thought you really sucked. And they post that. And I'm thinking, dude, then anyone who's thinking of booking you is going to see that and go, you know what? Someone thought you sucked. I don't want that on my show.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, social media uh, is is I've always said that in order for you, I, I think our First Amendment needs to be. Uh, worked out differently, where you one have to pass an IQ test, and two you have to uh, submit uh, your thoughts and um, have to have to and somehow you know convince that they actually are worthy of being put out into you know into the into the universe to be read. And what I've learned about Facebook, uh, social media in general, is king of the dipshits is always king of the dipshits. They'll have 20 dipshits that follow them. And nobody cares because before social media, they didn't have this avenue to call, you know, the president Hitler or to, you know, to diss somebody because they hate Trump. Um, I I found it really interesting. I I said something about um, I forgot what post it was. Now, if you look at my Facebook, it says drummer, author and hair model. That's what my thing says on there. (laughs) Something like that. The guy actually went off on me and he's like, oh. Coming from a hair model? What are you, so, you're so full? Like, he actually thought I was a hair model. Right. Like, he has no idea <laughs> that it was comedy. And um, another thing that disturbed me, first of all, uh, uh, anybody, I find that Facebook is beyond pathetic, let's face it. I mean, it's most ridiculous, probably one of the worst things ever done to mankind was the invention of this stupid, friggin', you know, it's just basically a place for sad people to just get fake sympathy to post your friggin wound pictures you know if i chopped off a finger the last thing i'm going to do is take a selfie of it and then put it on facebook like i need an ambulance i need some doctor you know like i need that that's what i need first i don't need people to 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 see my wound and it's turned into you know to, between that and the people that announce that it's their birthday, I'm mean, like, how fucking sad and pathetic right. are you that you have to announce your own fucking birthday? Like, just go somewhere. Well, I always, you I know? always,
0: I always crack up when people sit there and uh, they'll take a selfie of themselves sleeping. I go, how do, how do you take a selfie of yourself sleeping if you're asleep?
1: You know, Facebook has evolved. For, to me, it's actually. I, I, I think it's actually. I went. I went more stupid on Facebook so it was kind of like I went from posting these really great you know rants about you know the ratio of pretzels to hummus at an airport snack uh, kiosk to to now I just post pictures of old band stuff because that that'll get 15,000 likes but if I write something very you know like you know deep and uh, you know and it makes somebody think. Nobody, everybody hates that. You know, well, like, oh, wait a minute, I got to think about this. Well, yeah, well, I then, could just, I could just like a Skid Row picture. I don't want to have to think about stuff. And you then,
0: know, and then they have so, to read it. Once they see that it says continue, they go, "Oh shit, oh shit, right. wait, I got to continue." I don't have that extra twenty seconds, and sometimes it's just like an extra line that gets cut off.
1: Yeah, and you know, one thing, one one disturbing thing that happened. I, I was doing an interview with a Bubba the Love Sponge. In Tampa right Okay. and uh, I, I go to Tampa and, to be on his show and I and of course I put it on my Facebook page hey guys tune in I mean you know you want to hear some fun we're gonna have some fun and it's not and, and there was a guy that literally lost his shit to the point of like I've been a Saigon kick fan for 20 years but now that you've gone on Bubba the love sponge I have no respect for you or your band I'm like what in the fuck are you talking about like, I, I, I'm going on a talk show, just like I went on Oprah, just like I went on Tyra, or, you know, uh, Stern, or whoever it is. It's just a talk show. And because of the hatred, um, the, like, he took it out on me, my family, the band, you know, if I wear something, you know, he won't wear that anymore. Like, he lost his shit. And, and it's just that kind of, uh, of behavior is beyond disturbing to me. Like, I don't know what what has happened. Uh, But we also see that now with Trump and all these things. It's just like people have just lost their shit. It's it's so insane. So I realized a long time ago that Facebook is what it is. I have some fun on it. I poke some fun around. I call people dummy here and there. I try to provoke stuff. But I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about religion. You know, the easy way out is promote your stuff. Put some band shots up. Have the girls talk about my my, my dick and my hair? That's right, pretty right. much my my Facebook at what, this
0: point. Well, they talk about your dick. Now, how did how did the whole? Because listeners don't know, how did the whole sex toy come up? Because when when you talk when you told me the story four years ago, and that's when I first went. It was fascinating the whole thing about you know the factory. You said the factory is just like right. any other factory except they have fake vaginas or or. How did they approach you? And how does I mean how does one get a sec- like mine would be called the pigeon because I have big balls and a small <laughs> penis right? it would be the pigeon get the pigeon that would be mine but now, now yours I mean how do I I mean I know everyone knows it's legendary you and Tommy Lee and I think it just might be drummers I think drummers just might be well endowed and I think when you're a kid when you're in like ninth or 10th grade and you sit there and you have a huge slong you go you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take up the drums because it's a good lineage. How well, you
1: know what you know what it is. It's our counterweight to keep us on the throne, right. and <laughs> Balance us. We need a big a big cock and balls. Um, well, I did uh, um, when I did uh, that show for with the Dr. Drew show, the the Sex Rehab show. I did that show, and then um, I did Playgirl, and uh, it kind of like steamrolled from there. Then I did the Celebrity Sex Tape with Vivid. But then I approached um, Cal Exotic because I wanted my own toy line. And I found out later, just like the Saigon Kick um, record deal, that's like a one in a million thing to get a toy line. It's like literally they are pitched you know, people all day long and literally like 1% of them get greenlit to do a toy line. So it was pretty cool that they did this for me. And now I make a joke because my dong is discontinued, and that's how washed up I am. <laughs> I, my, I, my my dick is actually discontinued, so that that's the story of my career. I'm gonna find right it there.
0: I'm gonna find it in a car wash for a nickel. You know, next next, much, next Yeah, it's gonna be a, <laughs> in a cutout bin. Next to the air you know? supply, the air supply a <laughs> track. It's like, hey hey, what'd you get? I, I got I got I the 99 cent store. I got a Jesus candle. I got some Funyuns, and I got Phil Verone, this dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can totally say I got a, I got a Saigon kick record. I got Love Is on the Way. I got Phil's Dick. Uh, you know, I got his book. You know, like everything is there. Like the the. The, uh, that's actually a funny premise for like a scene. There it's you kinda go. Like the, so the, you the end. Of, the instead of like uh, the end of uh, uh, end of the year clearance, this is like right. end of the career clearance right. sale, and you just have a bunch of uh, celebrities' stuff like in rows, yeah. Just, yeah. and you know that your your career is over.
0: You got the my so. two dads box set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: just like everything. And you know what's funny about a Saigon Kick? I was talking to my friend today about it. I said, you know. We are a one-hit wonder band, you know, with Saigon Kick. And, and let me tell you something. I make no bones about it. I'm glad I had that hit. I don't care if it was one. I'll take one hit over no hit any day. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I, very, and I'm very proud of that.
0: I always so, say it. I always say yeah. it to people, who, you know, who, like, even if, like, I have a lot of actors on who've gotten a pilot or two pilots. Some have gotten three pilots and never got picked up. And I said, the bottom line is you still got a pilot. I mean, just to get to that exactly. point where you got to play. And just to be – I mean, there's so many musicians out there. Just to be able to sit there and, first of all, you toured with – people in the rock and roll hall of fame you know you tore with the exactly. you to with cheap trick you know and and so that must have been you know that's something that people sit there and go one hit wonder and you're right it's like you had one hit that's you are still that one percent and you got rock star ass you're still i mean bottom line is with a hit there's ass and that's you know these guys who bitch about that i always crack up with these guys who go oh wow they suck or whatever it happened it's like yeah. you know they're on the road they're doing what they love and they're getting women that you would never even have a chance to get.
1: Now, what's that old line? It's better to love than never been never loved at all or whatever the case is. Well, it's better to have a hit than never have a hit.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: And and I have to say, I mean, we're in the one hit wonder book, which is hysterical. And it's almost like a badge of honor, if you ask me, um, because, you know, you got to remember that even with one hit. Uh, we still had a number one video on MTV, number eight in the country. We were literally the only thing you heard for months. And that opened a lot of doors for me that later on in my career, how the hell do you think I got a, I got a show at the improv, like un, unseen? I went there and I said, listen, I was in Skid Row, I was in Saigon Kick, I have my career, I have this idea for a variety show. And Rita over there was like, okay, cool, let's do it. You know, like, but if it wasn't for the bands, I could have never got that way. So... You know, it, you know, make fun of the the one hit, but has opened so many doors and continues to to this day. Because Saigon Kick was a very respected band, Skid Row another huge band that was that was loved. You know, that that gets me a, a long way. So uh, I have no regrets whatsoever regarding that stuff.
0: So now I know I know you end up moving to Vegas. When did you decide to move to Vegas? Were you just tired of LA, or was it because you are doing more I was. vivid stuff? Or I, I know you started an agency because you know uh, for actresses, I believe. I was going to say you know if you need a stand in pigeon, that's I can I can yeah. work with you. But now what what made you decide to go to Vegas? And, and I've seen it's a trend of a lot of musicians. I don't know if you know my friend Troy Patrick Farrell. I don't know if you know yeah, Troy. Of course, yeah. But course. he moved to Vegas mine. and a yeah. lot of guys I always crack up, I tell people, you know, they go, Oh, it must be cool. You know, you know rocker I go, Yeah, here's 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 when you're over forty. You know, when you're younger, if you have a party and someone who's in a band, they're going to come over. They're going to bring booze or drugs or whatever. Troy came to my house to watch a football game, and he brought a dip to put in the oven that his mom gave him the recipe for. Of course he did. uh, That's
1: that's like, that is the new cocaine. Right. It's It's
0: like, I I was cracking up. I'm like, (laughs) this is so funny. It's like you think, oh, wow, a party. Oh, it must be great, Rockers. But now, why, why is there, like, the people, why was the exodus from L.A. to Vegas? I mean, it seems like it's a big thing right now.
1: I think it's uh, first of all it's the cost of living, and you know with 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 musicians we don't need to be anywhere other than close to an airport. So unless you're gigging every night in town, but most of the guys that that tour and stuff they need a private, quiet place to be. And you know I lived in Summerlin, so I was you know I wasn't in Las Vegas or like or on the Strip. I lived in the sub- suburbs, and uh, it was very peaceful. It was very quiet. It was very cheap. And it was only 10 minutes away from the airport. So I just, you know, anytime I did anything, I just flew to where I went to, that had to go, whether it's shows or directing a movie or whatever it was. So I think that, you know, number one, there's no traffic in Vegas. Number two, there's no L.A. people in Vegas in the right. sense of, like, the fake assholes that are just, you know, trying, you know, we talked about stand-up comedy. Those comics, those bitter comics, like, all that shit just wears on you. And um, I just couldn't take L.A. anymore. But it was also close enough that I can commute easily, whether, you know, even when I was doing my show for Vivid, my radio show, I just I flew in uh, on Wednesday. I flew in. I did my show and I flew right back on, you know, with, with Southwest on that, that the shuttle flight to Vegas. So it makes it real easy to commute and really not have to be in L.A., but yet it's only a third of the price. So I think that's what's most appealing to, to most people. And it's a great scene over there. This music scene. A lot of rock stars there's places to play it's uh you know it's it's a transient town but you know it's it's still you know there's definitely a need for musicians and rock bands and all that stuff so i think it's a win-win across the board
0: now how'd you get involved with vivid because it's something i know you had the the sex toy but now is that is that like a deal like like let's say you know if you're a if you're a young pitcher with a great arm and the teams are going to try to recruit you, is that when, and you've been in playgirl, and you had the sex. So did vivid say, and you have, you have an entertainment background. I mean, it's not like you're just not yeah. some guy walking around the big schlong. You know, you're a guy who's done comedy. You weren't on, were on California Cation, which was one of my favorite shows. Yeah. You know, you, so did they sit there and say, okay, this guy, he has a, people know him. He has a reputation. He's easygoing. He doesn't take himself serious. How did you start a relationship with vivid?
1: That's pretty much it. You know, listen. You know as well as I do that you know if you can't make fun of yourself, you know, you're you're that that's like you might as well just you know kill yourself now. Because when you think about my my career, it's it, you know it's been up and down, and, and I make a living out of making fun of myself in that respect. Because ultimately, I know what I'm good at, and I know what was fun and entertainment. Um, I went to Vivid and and asked them if they wanted to do a celebrity sex tape. We did. We did like a groupies type tape. Um, It did quite well. And then I was asked to shoot and direct uh, a swinger series because at that point I was in the lifestyle. I'm no longer in that lifestyle. But I was back then, and I had access to swingers and real people. So it kind of happened as a fluke. And I feel, uh, you know, I'm a universe guy. So as things happen, I just take the path and, you know, I follow them. And that's what I do. And that's how it kind of did. So um, we went from just me Basically begging them to do a celebrity sex tape, to them asking me to, to direct a swinger series that was that was and is still heinously successful. Um, I'm completely out of the adult business. I've been out of this business for uh, over a year now. Um, I'm not ashamed of what I did, but I'm definitely not you know interested in that business anymore. Um, when I opened my agency, you touched on that briefly. I learned how seedy and scummy the business is. I was very much sheltered being a director for Vivid. It was like the greatest gig in the world. And then when I opened up my agency and had to handle the performers, I had to deal with the reality of the business, which was, you know, it's awful. It's unregulated. Um, You have uh, agent, anyone can be an agent. Agents that are literally uh, were convicted and arrested for beating and strangling women are agents you know, uh, drug dealers, uh, you know, half of the agents that I, you know, encountered like just got out of jail for some kind of thing. It's all prostitution. It's all real seedy. And that's just something I couldn't deal with. And, um, I had to get out of there for my, my own sanity and also too, not to be a pretentious Dick, but, or, or, you know, or egomaniac, there isn't one person in the porn business that's a rock star or a published author and i am you know like that was the whole thing it's like i like none of these scumbags that are ripping me off and you know beating women can be a rock star because they're just scumbags that just got out of jail they have nothing else so porn is like the last stop on the life you know the life train for scumbags to come in and take advantage of people and that's what they did and i just you know consciously couldn't handle that morally couldn't handle that and i lost everything i just bailed closed the agency and just got the hell out of there and uh and now you know that brings us to today which i'm just getting back into the music business again yeah what
0: i mean what did you sit there well first of the published author what was what was the book you wrote uh
1: it's called unfiltered and um it's uh, tour stories fun things it's on amazon you can get it at you know, barnes and noble whatever it's you know it's a it's a book it's a real book with a real publishing company it wasn't self-published um I'm, I'm writing a book right now I'm ghost writing uh, a book um, and um, it's uh, a Sam Kinison book and I'm writing it for Sabrina uh, her who was
0: um, I'm friends with her on Facebook
1: yeah so Sabrina is I'm writing it for her it's pretty fascinating I, I'm you know I'm a huge fan of Sam Kinison so to be able to write this story for her is pretty amazing and, and she Sam was just <laughs> I had no idea because I just knew him as a fan. And um, so, we're, we, you know, we started the book a few months ago, and I'm, I'm ghostwriting that for her right now. So uh, that's like really, it's really interesting and an honor to write uh, about this, this this amazing talent and just learn all this stuff that I'm learning. It's, it's kind of like mind-blowing. Okay. But um, so I'm writing that right now. And I'm just getting back, you know, into playing again, right. you know, just just getting back on the drum set.
0: Well, the Sam stories are great because I've had Carl LeBeau, Van Allen Stevens on my show. Right. And yeah, you just sure. sit there and you go, wow. You know, I mean, he, right. was, he was like a rock star, but he's the one guy who meshed both worlds. I mean, he was a comic who became I know, like, Dane Cook sold out big places and Kevin Hart sells out, out big places. But Kinnison was actually a rock star
1: yeah and you know the one thing when i talked to sabrina about this book i you know she started telling me stories and stuff and i said well you know i'm a fan first right um and and sabrina has this great um uh uh gift now to tell fans something about sam that we didn't know and um you know Sabrina is gonna tell the story of her time with him this five years that started when she was 16 until he passed away in 92 and um it's uh it's pretty fascinating the person he was you know not knowing him personally i'm she's she's really letting me in and will let the readers into a really special guy that um that i had no idea existed and i think that's what's so special about this whole uh process and um i feel real honored to be a part of it to be honest with you and um you know uh I think it's going to be an incredible book whenever it's done, and we're you know there's so much stuff, so we're you know we're just taking our time and making it right, and um, just hearing some wonderful stuff. So, so and of course, so don't get me wrong, he was also nuts too. Oh yeah, you know, you know, the, we we're covering the bases. But I know. I think yeah,
0: I think it's important. <laughs> oh yeah, I've I've heard crazy stories. Yeah. So so when you leave yeah. Vegas, when you decide to leave Vegas, get out of that business. Why did you choose Florida again? Because that's where you felt your roots were. That's where you felt you could go do your music at. I mean, because, you know, you've been from Florida to Vegas to L.A. Why did you choose to go back to Florida?
1: Yeah, well, my family's here. Okay. So I literally put all my stuff in storage. Um, We had, um, uh, I I came here right before the holidays. I hadn't been with my family over the holidays for probably 15 years, you know, because I was just busy and doing all these things. So. I just came here and kind of decompressed if there's no real better word for it Um, I just had to get away from the mayhem because it was so insane I remember the first the minute I closed the business um, I changed my phone number that day and that day was the first day I had peace in probably five years and um, I just remember sitting in my house like not even looking at my phone because nobody had my number and i was like i'm not missing anything am i you know and i i remember that and i was like i got to really kind of decompress from this and get away from this so i got rid of my place i put my stuff in storage and i just booked and um you know spent some quality time with my family and um you know and and got reacquainted with friends that i kind of you know lost touch with over the years because when i was in that business i lost touch with friends that are in the music business or other businesses and I kind of just, you know, been doing that for the last few months, and um, you know, it's something I needed because, again, when you're in it so hard, you it's just like a bad relationship. You know, your friends tell you you're, you know, you're changing, and you get, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a different person, and you need a break, and you don't, you know, you don't want to accept that. And then finally, when I did that, I realized a lot of things, and I just came here and did some soul searching and 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 trying to put the pieces back together. Of this wonderful career that I had, but yet, you know, all the mistakes I made, all the, the bullshit I had to deal with. So uh, that's basically what I've been doing, you know, just peaceful.
0: So, so when you went soul searching, I guess that's what you got you back to music, because, you know, if you break yeah. it down, that was your first love. I mean, it's like anything, the first thing we do, I'm sure, you know, that's why you played in the band. And I can't believe you played, I know why you didn't play in the marching band, because you have to put a hat. The hat, you said, "I'm not. Don't 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 cover up my hair. I don't want my hair." So, so was there a defining moment when you were sitting there and said, "You know what, man? I gotta, I gotta get back into the music because it's my love." And was it, was it scary at all? Because you know, you are, you've gotten away from the music for a while, and going back to it. I mean, things have changed. You know, I mean, when I got back to fooling around with comedy, I do it every once in a while. Things have changed. I didn't know what a bringer show was. I didn't know what this stuff was. You have to get back sure. to it. Was there a defining moment or just something that you just said, man, I just, I got to get back to playing the drums because that's what I do.
1: Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's pretty much the simple thing. It was like, um, I just wasted, you know, all these years. Uh, and I, Wasted is too strong. I was directing, I was writing, you know, movies, and I was doing that. Even though they were adult movies, it still was artistic to me. So I, I didn't waste it, but... Like I said earlier, you know, none of these people can be rock stars. And I had this great career and I had to literally strip it down. And, 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 you know, the story I just told you about why I played drums. I had to think about that. I had to think about me in fourth grade. I had to think about me in high school and my passion for drumming. I had to think about the time I saw the Motley Crue Uh, you know, shout at the devil video. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Looks that kill video. And I was like, I want to be that guy. I had to really get to the root of, do I want to play drums anymore? Because I, I am no longer a rock star. I'm a drummer. That was what I had to figure out in my head because the rock star almost killed me, but the drummer made me a rock star. So now how do I control the drummer end of it? Still touch on the rock star, but just be a fucking drummer for once in my life without trying to bang chicks, without trying to do all the drugs, without trying to impress anybody because I did it already. I don't need to prove it anymore. What I need to prove is that I am a drummer that is no longer on drugs, that is serious about my drumming, that is not a fuck up, that is – you know my, my, my values, my, my goals are completely different than they were 10, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So that's really what my struggle was initially, and it's, I found it to be pretty easy. I, was, I uh, played a gig here in Florida with Bobby Kimball from Toto. Um, such an odd thing to choose because Jeff was, it was probably one of the greatest drummers to live, and then they got Simon Phillips after him. So it's like I had to go in there and play Toto songs that pushed me to a limit of almost a nervous breakdown, but I did it. And that helped me tremendously as a drummer to now set up the next phase, which is, you know, uh, going and setting up shop in Nashville and, and getting back in the scene and reproving myself because everybody is questioning me. They're like, is Verone sober? Is he, you know, is he fucking nuts? Is he going to do this? Like, What's his deal? So I have to go back and reprove myself, not only as a, as a drummer, but as a person. And I welcome that. And I'm looking forward to it.
0: Now, how did the Kimball get come up? And also, it's weird, you know, because I hear about, you know, everyone knows Toto. And yeah. a lot of people don't, I mean, because at the time when some of the Toto songs came out, like Hold the Line and all that, they were sort of, more, not poppy, but they were, they were more popular. But people don't understand that Toto is just like, and what I've talked to people say, there's just like these amazing, amazing band with these yeah. amazing musicians.
1: Yeah, um, incredible musicians. I mean, Steve Lukather, uh, you know, Jeff Porcaro. I mean, you name it. I mean, even Bobby Kimball, as a keyboard player, he came into rehearsals and just started shredding. And I'm just like, what the hell? You know, like you, you you don't realize the caliber of player until you're playing with that caliber of player. You know, and and a lot of guys in rock and roll, we're all great players, but we don't have the uh, sometimes we don't have the the luck to get into a room with somebody at you know at a level. That we only wish we could be so that pushes you as a drummer or as any musician but it was through a promoter friend of mine he was promoting the show they needed a band here in South Florida or in uh, South uh, 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 West Florida and I put the band together and it was Bobby Kimball that I was able to play drums for and it was uh, one of the highlights of my life it was amazing you know it, it was um, I needed it so bad as a drummer. Because I remember going into the first rehearsal before the band and before Bobby got there, like you know, I, I was in rehearsals a couple of days by myself, and I, you know, you put headphones on because you go back to basics, man. You know, w- when I was a kid, I would sit in my room and I would put headphones on and play Led Zeppelin. I would play Motley Crue and and learn how to play drums. Well, that's what I had to do, except it was to Toto. So it was like, whoa, okay, you got to push yourself to the next limit, and and. Um, The next level and let me tell you I put those headphones on and started playing Rosanna and I was like I can't do this right like I really can't do this like what am I gonna do and started having a panic attack because I was like how the hell am I gonna do this show I've committed to this show the band is coming in in two days Uh, Bobby Kimball's coming in in three days and he expects me to play this perfectly and I can't and I had to literally calm myself down and go back to basics that sounds stupid but I literally sat at my at my drum set and was like right, left, right, left, right, left. I mean, literally went back to just being a kid and going take a breath, play, you know, just two four right now. Just play normal drums, get comfortable with the kid again, and then we'll move into you know the 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 crazy shuffles and you know and and, and these sick drum beats. And that's what I did. And to this day now. I think back. I'm like, I can't wait to play Rosanna again. I, I would love to play it for you right now. You know, like I, it was so much fun, and we played Rosanna and, and Hold the Line and and Girl uh, Goodbye Girl and and uh, you know Africa. And I played with a percussionist, and it really just opened my eyes to drumming and put me in a really good place. Now that when I go to Nashville, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to play, and and uh, with with no no. Uh, hesitation, no reservations, I'm just bam, going in. So, that was part of the process.
0: We're running out of time. Um, I just want to ask you, uh, the Nashville move. It seems like everyone's moving to Nashville now. Yeah. And, and my friend Rich, yeah. do you know Rich Redman? I don't. You guys got to meet, he's Aldean's drummer, he's the nicest, nicest guy. And you guys have hit it off, you could have hair contests, and I'd hate both <laughs> of you. But, uh, like he said, what well, a lot of times people go going to Nashville is like kids getting out of music school. It's just because that's where the work is. You can constantly write songs. You can constantly perform. Right. And there's not right. – and, and the, just like you said, you know, with Vegas, the cost of living is so much different. Was it a big decision for you to move to Nashville? or when, when No, you because moving?
1: that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, well, it's Nashville or it's Los Angeles because that's where the music scene is. But, but over, you know, and that's it's nothing new about Nashville. Uh, some of my good friends live there. Uh, that are in the music business, uh, from tour managers to producers to musicians. And I've just been I'm hearing nothing but amazing things. You know, just like anything else, you know, when you get 10,000 musicians in one place and there's only 5,000 jobs, well, yeah, there's going to be a little cutthroat. But I think it's the best place to be seen, to be heard, and to, to, to rebuild a career. I don't expect to go there tomorrow and be on the road. But then again, that could happen. You know, like, our business is that, and, and, you know, when you, like, let's talk about acting for a second. You know, how many times have you heard Robert De Niro go, yeah, I went and I auditioned for that part and I wasn't right for it. Well, that's the same thing with drumming. Uh, The greatest drummer in the world can go and sit in with a band and he might not be right for the band. Not his drumming talent, but just the total package, whether it's his, you know, uh, his look, his demeanor his experience on the road. So when someone like myself goes in, you know, I'm a veteran in that respect. You know, I have, I have 25 years, uh, under my belt. I uh, you know, 10 records, millions of records sold toward the world, you know, three, four times I've played in every concert venue you can think of from arenas to, you know, playing outside in you know, a parking lot that, experience, you know, that, uh, the, the, the name helps a little bit. You know, all those things are in one. So I'm not too concerned about getting a gig tomorrow. And I think that I will be somehow, you know, on the road. I'll be working this year because I'm really excited and ready to play again and get out on the road. So hopefully that'll happen.
0: Now, would you be a session guy? Would you, is that something that interests yeah. you or something you don't want to do? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I love the studio because I'm so good at it. And again, I, I sound like a pretentious asshole, but but that's one of my my talents is recording studio. So, uh, the, the, when I did the Skid Row record, I did it in two days. You know, I did, uh, uh 12 songs in two days, uh, Saigon kick records, same thing. It's, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm fortunate to be very good in studio. So, um, I would love to do studio work, you know, and then what that does is get the word around going, Hey, have you played with this guy? You know, you might want to have him live because on top of it, I have a certain look. I have the experience on stage too. So, you know, I believe that, you know, it's selling yourself as a total package it took a long time for me to think that I'm the total package and far, as far as musicianship and, and, you know, image and all that stuff. And now that I'm at that point, I have to utilize that and, you know, take it to the next level. And it took everything that I just went through to get to that, to get to that. Right. Point. And that's where I'm at now. So, you know.
0: Now, now, will it be different for you if you play with a country band? Cause, I, mean, that, that's, I mean, I know country is different now, but will that be because you're, you're, you're a rock and roll guy?
1: Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to be playing with Hank Williams. With right. third. I mean, I'm going to play with if I were, I could play with any country act because it's pop. It's not there's no difference unless it's real country. I mean, when you think about what's Carrie Underwood, it's it's rock and roll. You know, Garth Brooks is rock and roll. It's everything is a rock and roll base. I think that there is a completely different drumming style for country. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I listen to some country artists. And I'm like, wow, that's an interesting feel and an interesting beat. And uh, you know, but but in general, what we call country or popular country now is just what it is. It's pop music. It's with a country twang to it, which is pretty fun and easy to play. You know, um, so I don't I don't see that. But I I get, I, I still love rock and roll stuff. So hopefully. I would love to tour with some older artists. I I hope to get into a position to be offered a gig, you know, with some really big artists. And uh, but that's going to take work, just like anything else. And well, and, um, uh, you know, I'm putting it in. So
0: what if they make you wear a hat? Or will you be pissed off if they wear a hat?
1: If, Listen, if the pay is good, I'll wear
0: a suit of armor. I okay. don't
1: give a shit. But no hat. <laughs> you
0: can't. You can't. I mean, come on. You know, you, you, you know, it's it's all you guys with hair. Because I had hair <laughs> back in the day. I had nice hair. I had, as I called it, like the Dave Coulier cut. Some people said it was a mullet. It wasn't. It was feathered That's on the side. Mullet. No, I used 10X. I used 10X to feather it. And now I'm bald. And when I see guys with hair, when they cover it up with a hat, I sort of get pissed off. I go, you know what, you have, like we were watching, the me and my girlfriend were watching the uh, Today Show yesterday, and Harry Hamlin came out, the actor. Now that's yeah. a dude with hair. That's, and that's, he's like 65, and he's I still got that hair. he looks hair. great. He
1: looks great. He has like gray hair. And yeah, he looks awesome. good. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so when do you plan to move to Nashville? Um, Friday. You're actually moving on Friday?
1: Yeah, this Friday
0: coming up. So, in three days? In three days. So, do you have a place lined up? I do. Okay, so you're going to, you're going to. Just, you you're going to get your stuff out of storage? Um,
1: You know, I, I, you know, I have stuff here. I'm going there to just kind of feel it around and stuff. And then uh, I'll end up coming back here um, and then go from there. You know, like I I think that, like anything else, I would like to stay there forever, of course. But um, I'm just doing things wisely. And instead of, you know, putting my life there right off the bat – I'm going to go there with the right amount of stuff and then figure it out from there. You See, know, that, I mean,
0: that's smart. Because that, that gives you, you know, that gives you a sense that, you know, you might go and you might, I mean, you know, you've been there, so you, you might not like it. And then you'd be like, well, I'm shit out of luck.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never know. But, you know, but I do know is that my family is here in Florida and I, you know, I can always come and, and come back here and, and regroup again. But I think that uh, I think good things. I mean, I know stuff that I can't talk about, so I'll be staying there. Good. That's my yeah. I can't. I can't. You know. Just. But. But. I'm. I'm really excited, and. Um, you know. It's a new change. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a welcome change. It's a change of frequency, as they say, and uh, it's just put me in a good place. So I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Cool. Well, you know, I want to thank you for coming on. This is the first time I've sky. As I said, announced now I'm sitting there, I'm sitting here in my kitchen. Well, we have a townhouse, so Joanne's upstairs. I can't hear her upstairs. She's watching TV, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, I should have been instead of the studio. I should have been doing this the whole time because this is this yeah, is convenient." Next time, can you just wear pants? I yeah, mean well,
1: I dig I you naked, but, but I'm just saying. So.
0: Hey, you know what? People gotta <laughs> do it. So real quick, what's your Twitter and Facebook and all that?
1: Um, my Twitter is the T H E Phil Verone. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but oddly enough my profile it's just it's Phil Verone. Okay. Um, and my profile says unfiltered. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And I don't have Instagram. I don't have any of that stuff. So it's just Twitter and Facebook and uh, Philverone.com, Great. of course. So,
0: so people follow him, follow him. Go to Philverone.com. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. That's CooperTalk.net. I just put episode 500 up the other day. I'll be putting 501. And Phil was number 10, believe it or not. And so go check that out. Email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. A whole new avenue of guests is opening up, people, because I'm going to Skype out of the house. I already have some of my. Guys from the bands I love back east. It's a very exciting time. I was a little terrified at first, people. I'll be honest. When I found the studio was closing, and I just found out instantly. But now I'm sitting there going, I I got proactive, and it's great. So uh, so follow me on Twitter also. It's at CooperTalk. Instagram. At CooperTalk1 and play me with words with friends. I play with I'm um, CooperTalk1 there. So follow Filverone. Go to philverone.com. Go to CooperTalk.net. Send me an email, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you next week.